0: I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And having a song like that um, with a tune that's easy memorable can help us to do that. We can actually sing that scripture throughout the day as a reminder to us. As you saw on the screen that was taken from Psalm 34, it's a psalm of David. Uh, David wrote at least half of the 150 psalms which encompass a huge range of emotions, don't they? Uh, Sadness, um, exhilaration, um, fear, confidence, faith, um, at times uh, anger, frustration, bewilderment, a wide range of emotions, but from a heart that is set on the Lord. David wrote at least half these Psalms and I was really encouraged when uh, David and Carrie, our worship music directors, told me this past week that uh, most of our choir songs throughout this coming year are going to be taken from the Psalms as we go through the life of David together. And I think that's going to be just a real special treat and encouragement to all of us. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's on page 223 in the Pew Bible. If you would like to use that resource. We began our study of the life of David last week as we opened this chapter together. Uh, this is the first time that David is introduced to us, 1 Samuel 16. And at the start of the chapter, God sends Samuel, the prophet, to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, where Samuel is to anoint God's pick, God's replacement. Of King Saul, God's choice was David, but David almost got overlooked because he was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons and got stuck out in the fields watching the sheep while his seven older brothers and dad got to go to the feast. When they arrived at the feast, Samuel saw how tall and handsome. Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, was, and he thought to himself, man, this has got to be God's pick. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For you see, Samuel, the Lord doesn't see things the way people do. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And one by one, Jesse's other six sons passed before Samuel. The Lord says, not this one. Not this one. Not these. So finally, they send for David, the last one. He's still out in the fields with the sheep. And as soon as David arrives, the Lord says, arise, Samuel, anoint him. This is the one. Then we read in verses 13. And 14. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You see the contrast being presented here in the text? It's meant to grab our attention. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Then immediately we read, and the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Continuing on we read, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me, David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight." And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this portion of your word today, we are reminded from something Brother Chad prayed moments ago that Your word is profitable for us. It provides the teaching, the correction, the instruction that we need to live life as you intend us to. Lord, I have no doubt that in a crowd this size there are some folks who feel that a harmful spirit has been plaguing them, whether spiritual in nature or psychological, emotional, And they feel this burden within them that doesn't seem to lift. And so, God, we know that you have included this story in Scripture for a reason. Lord, there are some here who perhaps feel like Saul. There might others who feel like David, that they're in a very good place and feel that they can be used by you to minister to the hurting. God, one of the greatest tragedies of today would be if we were to show up at church but turn a deaf ear to your word to be thinking about what's going on later today or our activities for the week or maybe simply allowing our mind to drift or to be flipping around on our phones god we pray that your holy spirit would keep us from getting distracted i pray lord that we would give your holy inerrant word Your precious word, the rightful attention that it deserves, not only because it is God breathed, but you have given it for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I stole the title of today's message from Chuck Swindoll, who titled this passage Soft Music for a Hard Heart. Soft music for a hard heart. This text, this title itself uh, presents. A contrast, doesn't it? Soft music for a hard heart. There's also some irony here because the rejected king unknowingly seeks relief from the newly anointed king. He has no idea at this point that David is to be his replacement and yet in the province of God, out of all the persons in Israel he could have picked, he picks David, the son of Jesse, to provide for him relief. The author highlights the providence of God in this irony that's taking place with a similar use of words in verses 1 and 17. I don't know if you caught that. In verse 1, the Lord says, I have provided for myself a king. And in verse 17, Saul says to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. The author is conveying us that David is not only God's choice, but he is unknowingly Saul's choice. This is a double confirmation of God's anointing on David, that the Lord is with David. And he will make the man that will even become his enemy be at work within his life to accomplish God's purpose. A double confirmation. And it's the chosen king, who keeps the rejected king from falling apart. Let's see how this plays out in the narrative. First of all, I want to talk about the plague of a harmful spirit. The plague of a harmful spirit that afflicted Saul. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The word there literally means terrorized him or terrified him. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus described Saul's malady as demonic disorders that came upon him. Likewise, the renowned Old Testament scholars Keel and Delish wrote, quote, a higher evil power took possession of him and not only deprived him of his peace of mind, but stirred up the feelings, ideas, imaginations, and thoughts of his soul to such an extent that at times it even drove him to madness. Other scholars think that this harmful spirit was not demonic in nature, but psychological. In the chapters that follow, Saul exhibits symptoms of extreme paranoia, bipolar illness, and what mental f- experts label as IED, Intermittent Explosive Disorder. Now, this is not a disease of the bowels, <laughs> but a condition that involves, and here's how it's described by psychologists, repeated sudden, sudden episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent behavior or angry verbal outbursts, which can include throwing or breaking objects, in other temper tantrums that, signet, that cause significant distress and negatively impact your relationships. Now, certainly the case with Saul, as the ensuing narrative will reveal. We'll see this in upcoming chapters. Saul was a terrorized soul. The subsequent chapters reveal that this harmful spirit whether demonic or psychological, returned to him again and again. And I think it's worth pointing out at this point a few other facts. First of all, it's important to note that this spirit was from the Lord. Did you see that? The author emphasizes this repeatedly. Verse 14, a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Verse 15, Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Verse 16, they once again refer to the harmful spirit from God. Verse 23, again, the harmful spirit from God. Say, how can God possibly work? Well, what if this was a demon? God would actually use a demon to afflict the king? Well, we must remember, as Martin Luther, the reformer, once said, even the devil is God's devil. Even the devil is God's devil, which is to say that God uses everything, even the devil, to accomplish his holy will. If God is truly sovereign, we must believe that. While at the same time believing that God is not the author of sin and he doesn't tempt anyone to sin. But he can use Satan and his demons to accomplish his holy purpose in the lives of people. Another thing we ought to note is that Saul's malady was evident to those around him. If you're having fits of rage, if you're going through depression, if there's angry outbursts, you're uh, marked by um, paranoia. That will become quickly evident to those around you and that's why they suggested that Saul let them find someone who could play skillfully some soothing music for Saul so that he would calm down when he had one of these horrific episodes. Another thing worth noting that's very important is that Saul was responsible for his actions and was well aware of his sin. The signs of mental illness began to occur only after Samuel confronted Saul about his disobedience. First 20 years of his reign, nothing. The Lord granted him success in many ways. But things began to unravel fast when Saul began to rebel against the Lord. I wonder how often that is the case with people today. Though there can be some physical brain issues that are going on, I wonder how much of our depression, I wonder how much of our paranoia, our consumption of certain thoughts are caused by undealt with sin in our life. And God allows us, in a sense, to be tormented in our spirit so that we might sense how awful life is when the presence of God is removed, when we distance ourselves from God's blessing, His empowering presence because we refuse to let go of some sin. Tragic consequences. In 1 Samuel 18, we'll see this in a couple chapters, The harmful spirit rushes upon Saul once again, and he's raving in his house while David is playing the lyre. Saul hurls his spear at David, but David escapes twice. Verse 12 of that chapter says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Near the end of that chapter, it says, when Saul realized... Saul realized that the Lord was with David. Saul became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. Saul knew what was happening. Saul knew that the Lord was with David. Saul knew that on account of his sin, the Lord had departed from him. But instead of repenting, what did he do? He made David, the one filled with the Spirit of God, his enemy. By persisting in his sin, Saul forfeited the presence of Yahweh himself. Matthew Henry wrote, When the Spirit of the Lord departs from us, all good goes. Brothers and sisters, friends, that is a scary place to be. The absence of God's presence affects us spiritually, Psychologically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, in every way. Saul's sin, his persistent rebellion, put him in a miserable, tormented state. And yet his condition was his own doing. He was responsible for his condition and thus the plague of the harmful spirit. Well, now let's talk about something positive. The presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see with David in contrast to Saul. That's what what the author wants us to see here. Saul's servants suggested that Saul let them find him a musician to play some soothing music for him so that his peace and well-being would be restored. So we read in Verses 17 and 18. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. What a description. I mean, Can you imagine if if someone were to ask another person about you and you got this kind of a resume before someone as important as the king? It's a noble portrait and Saul's servant in the original language uses a series of Two-worded Hebrew phrases, one right after another to describe David. And if if we were to to restrict ourselves to these two-word phrases in English, it might sound something like this. David is an excellent musician, courageous man, experienced fighter, well-spoken, good-looking, and the Lord is with him. Literally, Yahweh with. Yahweh with. Isn't it amazing that God sovereignly used someone in Saul's court to take notice of David, a shepherd boy who was still a teenager and was still spending most of the time in the field watching the sheep with no one else around. How could someone possibly notice this young teen, probably about 15 years old at this time, just out by himself watching the sheep in the fields, sometimes his own father and brothers neglecting him, and somehow wind up in the court of the king. How could someone in Saul's court take notice of this teenager? The simple answer is the providence of God. But how did God use circumstances? Well, if you're familiar with... uh, Israeli history, if you read some of the narratives in the Old Testament books, you'll see that it was common for the enemies of Israel to raid certain towns and villages throughout the land. And when that would happen, the king would summon the men who lived in the surrounding villages and towns to come out and fight against the enemy wherever they were attacking. We know from the book of Numbers that David was not yet old enough to serve in the professional army. You had to be 20 years old to serve in that army. But they would call men and boys, teenagers, whoever come out, sort of as a militia, to come help in these uh, local raids and attacks that would be taking place. And evidently that's what happened here. David at times got called up with the militia, the local militia, so to speak. And he would leave his shepherd staff and he would go fight the enemy along with the older men who would be there, guys that were well into their 20s or 30s. And apparently Saul's servants saw him on these occasions. And he was able to note that this guy is brave. And man, this guy is a fighter. We'll find out later <clears throat> that God has used David's defense of the sheep fighting lions and bears to take on some uh, You know, men later on in his life, male warriors. King Saul would call these men from their farms and sheepfolds to fight the enemy. And David developed a reputation as a courageous man and a good fighter. But he also noticed that David was an excellent musician that he was well-spoken, that he was prudent and articulate in his speech. So my guess is, is that in between these skirmishes, Saul's servant saw how David interacted with others. He saw that he was discerning and articulate in his speech. He was struck by how wise David was beyond his years, just 15, maybe 16 years old but he was so much wiser than most of the men standing around him. And he was well skilled, he said, in playing the lyre. This is the Hebrew word kinnor. It was a harp-like instrument that was more portable than a harp. It's the earliest stringed instrument mentioned in Scripture, and it's the only instrument mentioned in the Pentateuch. And my guess is that in between these skirmishes, perhaps as they returned to the camp for the night, maybe got a fire going, that David would play his lyre among the troops there. And as he did so a spirit of calm would come over the men after a long day of vicious fighting. That's how I imagine this might have taken place. But we know that somehow, some way in the providence of God it did that the servant of Saul had occasion to notice these remarkable traits about a young teenager named David, a shepherd boy. David had captured the attention of the king's own servant who commended this young man to the king. The commentator Matthew Henry wrote, David, even in his shepherd's garb, had become an oracle, a champion in everything that is great. At age 15. God was at work in the life of David because David honored God in his work. Whether he was tending sheep or playing his instrument or training for battle, David gave God his best. Even when nobody else was watching. Or so we thought. Decades later, David's son Solomon wrote this proverb Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 22 29. Although Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian, he wrote in his autobiography that when he was a boy, his father often quoted this proverb to him. And Benjamin Franklin took it to heart, though. He didn't think that he would one day literally stand before kings. And yet, as he later pointed out in his own autobiography, that's exactly what happened. He wrote, I have stood before five kings, and I even had the pleasure of sitting down with one to dinner. But to stand before kings in a biblical sense, the way that it's meant here, the way that Solomon went when he wrote that proverb, meant more than simply paying a king a visit. It meant to enter his service. And that's what David did. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 21. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. This means, as the title implies, that David helped carry Saul's weapons into battle. He just wasn't playing the instrument in Saul's tent or in his chambers. He was carrying his weapons into battle. That is to say that David was extremely versatile. And he became Saul's right-hand man, valued greatly for his musical gifts and his military skills. And we're told that Saul loved him greatly. Why is that? Well, I think it's because David served with distinction. But that's not all. I think it's also because David was a lovable guy. (laughs) He had a wonderful personality. He had a humble way about him. You know, someone can be talented and really skilled in their work and even perform it with excellence, but can be a jerk, can be pompous. David was none of these things. He was humble he was helpful. There was a pleasant disposition about him. He had a winsome way about him that even a cranky king was drawn to him. Now, the Bible says that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And for now, Saul loved him greatly. David was prudent in his speech. He watched his words around Saul. What would be helpful in this situation? Should I say anything at all? There's a time to speak. There's a time to be silent. He was prudent in speech. He had a calming influence on the king. He brought a measure of reason and sound counsel into any situation. You know, Saul didn't know it, but he was dependent on the very one whom God had designated to succeed Saul as king. In the coming chapters, we'll see repeated statements like the one in 1 Samuel eighteen fourteen, which says, And David had success in all his undertakings, because the Lord was with him. Look now at 1 Samuel 16, verses 22 to 24. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. That word refreshed is the Hebrew word ravach. And it means to be wide, to be spaceable to be spacious, to give space in the sense of providing relief. Have you ever been stressed and she so said, just give me some space? That's the sense of this word. But David gave Saul space, not geographically, not like by physically withdrawing from him. He gave Saul emotional space through the ministry of music. That word, to give space so as to bring relief, I I think probably the best translation that brings this out is James Moffat's translation of this verse. He says, he played for Saul till Saul breathed freely. You ever been so uptight? All tense. Then you finally get that moment, someone does something or the Lord brings relief, but whatever happens, you just you just start to breathe freely don't we counsel one another that way what do we say take a what take a deep breath take a deep breath david didn't just tell saul to do it a lot of people say that they mean well but it doesn't do a whole lot david ministered to saul in such a way that as he played because the spirit of the lord was with david after a few moments saul he just relaxed he breathed freely. The spirit that was tormenting left because the spirit of the Lord was present in a young boy named David. If you were to ask Saul, remember the old commercial, how do you spell relief? He would say D-A-V-I-D. That's how I spell relief. The shepherd boy had won the heart of the king. Chuck Swindoll, in his profile on David's life, imagines the scene. There was Saul on his cot, or pacing about his bedchamber, uh, writhing in the madness of his depression, and in the corner sits David playing his harp, and perhaps singing one of his psalms. Who knows? Maybe they sang together for a while. Maybe he taught Saul some of his songs. We're not told. But somehow through David's presence, mixed with his soothing music, Saul began to love that young man because he brought him relief. That is to say, David was God's gift to Saul, wasn't he? Saul in his disobedience and rebellion deserved nothing but punishment from the Lord. But God in his good providence brought a special young man someone whom the Lord was with, into Saul's life to minister to him even in the midst of his ongoing rebellion against God. I think Gene Getz shares some great insight on this point when he says, I believe God was giving Saul an opportunity to learn firsthand from David what kind of man he honors. Since Saul would not listen to Samuel, God in his grace showed him David. not that good? Saul wouldn't listen to Samuel, but God in his grace showed him David. Spirit-filled believers are God's instruments of blessing to others. Spirit-filled believers are God's instruments of blessing to others. I think that is the key takeaway from this text, Uh, transformative truth, if you will, that we can take from today's lesson. As we think through this principle there on the screen, spirit-filled believers are God's instrument of blessing to others, I want to consider three points of application. First of all, I'd like us to consider once again the providence of God. Think about the providence of God first in David's life. You know, when God was at work at this point in David's life to bring him into the court of King Saul, what was David? He was a shepherd boy who was simply doing what he was told. About 15 years of age. And there was nothing going on in David's circumstances that he saw in his day-to-day life that would have indicated that God was powerfully at work. Even when the prophet Samuel came to town, David's family went to feast with the prophet while David was stuck out in the field watching the sheep. And even after he was anointed by Samuel and he was able to come late to dinner and he had some oil poured on him and told that he would be the next king of Israel, what happened next? Samuel went back to Ramah. David went back to the sheep fields. Nothing spectacular. Nothing spectacular. Day after day, he just continued doing what he did before. Watching the sheep. Spending hours and hours on end with them. All by himself. He'd play his lyre. Write poems and prayers. And occasionally fight lions and bears. But God was at work, wasn't he? God was orchestrating events that would bring David to the place where God wanted him to be. And everything David did, every mundane detail of his life, God was at work in those molding David into the man that God wanted him to become. And every single skill, every single thing David wrote, the instrument that he played, God would use in a marvelous way to serve his people, even to his people today. 3,000 years later, we benefit greatly from David's skill in his heart for God. He was molding this shepherd boy into the man who would become Israel's greatest king. What a great reminder that is for us as we go about our daily routines and responsibilities. At times we look around at the messy situation of our lives just the day-to-day things that we got to do the chores getting up kind of going through the same routine and at times we wonder how could god be possibly at work in this either my life is so routine or my life is so messy i don't see how god could possibly fit this together for anything significant but david's life even as a teenager testify to this reality. David was faithful in his everyday duties as a boy, obeying his father and mother, doing his chores, developing his skills, making the best use of his time, and God used every single bit of this to honor him in an incredible way it's been said that hindsight is 2020 i think that's especially true in the christian life it is always easier to recognize god's activity in retrospect as we look back and say oh now i see how god was at work but brothers and sisters we're really not going to have 2020 vision until we're in heaven and then we will be blown away at how god used the most mundane details of our lives, the disappointments, the trials, the people that crossed our paths, the circumstances that were beyond our control, we will be absolutely blown away. Say, God, I didn't see it at the time, but look at how you orchestrated all of this for your glory and for my ultimate good. And we will bow down and worship and just praise God with our heart full of thanksgiving and joy and gratitude. We should also consider the providence of God in Saul's life. Even though Saul was being punished for his sin, God showed him mercy. God showed him compassion. God caused one of Saul's servants to take notice of David. Why? So that in this season of his life, he could serve Saul. Saul, who refused to serve God, was being served by a young boy who was filled with the Spirit of God. Spirit-filled believers are God's instruments of blessing to others. Not only to other spirit-filled believers, but even to backsliders. Even to unbelievers, to bring them to the place where they need to be so that they too can experience the presence of God in their life. I wonder who has God providentially put in your life? How has this person ministered God's grace to you? Brothers and sisters, don't take that mercy for granted. Certainly do not treat such a person as your enemy. Don't push them away. The psalm says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. And there are spirit-filled brothers and sisters in Christ who can help you do that if you will let them. Though Saul would soon see David as a threat, David really was a means of grace to Saul. The same was true of David's greater descendant, the Lord Jesus, who was God's greatest gift of all. And not just to a man, but to the world. The Jewish leaders, though, saw Jesus as a threat, didn't they? instead of seeing Him as being on a mission of mercy from God to bring salvation to the world, they became envious of Him. They became afraid of Him. They became angered at Him. And eventually, they wanted to kill Him. They saw Jesus as a threat, not knowing that He had come to save His people from their sins. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians two eight. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And yet God in his providence used the greatest crime in history, the murder of God's own beloved son, to grant salvation to every single person in the world who would trust in Jesus. And then those people who entrust themselves to Jesus for salvation in turn become Jesus' representatives, His ambassadors, His ministers of mercy to the lost and dying world around them. But be warned, Jesus told His disciples, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Paul warned Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. For a very brief season, Saul loved David greatly, but he would soon hate David intensely. Not because David had changed. The Spirit of God was with David wherever he went. It's because Saul rejected once again the ministry of mercy that God had given in his life. You know, the world today sees believers as a threat to them. You see it in the media, you see it on the news, you see it in politics. The world tends to see believers as a threat rather than as God's means of grace to them. Dale Davis wrote, Believers keep the world from drowning in its own vomit, which strangely enough it craves. Is that not lunacy? And yet that is what the world, that's what people are like apart from the Spirit of Christ. And it's only by grace that we have been saved and therefore it is in mercy that we go to people sharing with them the love of Jesus Christ regardless of how they treat us. I think it's important to note that even once Saul made David his enemy, And Saul stubbornly continued on his path to destruction. David continued to serve Saul well every day of his life. He respected Saul even when Saul rejected him. He did everything he could to be at peace with Saul even when Saul viciously pursued him. And when Saul ended up dying a tragic death by suicide, David mourned the death of Saul. That is a heart of compassion. That is a man after God's own heart that regardless of how people treat me, I will continue to love them. I will continue to serve them. I will continue to pray for them. I will continue to minister God's love to them, trusting God with their results. David served Saul well right to the very end. And shouldn't we serve the world around us well right to our very end in light of all that Jesus has done for us? Second point of application is the price of disobedience. Saul's life took a tragic turn when he disobeyed God and continued in his rebellion he lost the blessing of God's presence in his life. And that was far worse than losing the kingship. If Saul had said, Lord, I'm willing to pay the consequence for my sin, losing the kingship is hard, but as long as I still have you, I can be at peace. I can know joy. I can still be your instrument of blessing in Israel. But he chose to reject God. He chose to stubbornly pursue his path of disobedience, which led ultimately to his destruction. I find it very interesting. And we're going to take little peeks into the future now and then. Many, many years later, long after David had become king, well into his reign, David too, sinned greatly against God didn't he he sinned greatly against God yet the difference is David repented and many of us know the most famous psalm where David confesses his sins to God and asks God for his forgiveness do you remember what psalm it is psalm 51 that's correct Do you remember what David prayed as part of his confession to the Lord in that moment? He said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I think David prayed that prayer because when he was a 15-year-old boy, he saw a man lose the presence of God in his life and destroy his life as a result. David said, God, don't let that happen to me. Lord, when you judge me, you'll be fully justified. God, whatever you want, I will accept as the necessary consequences from my sin as long as you don't leave me. Oh God, don't go away from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me that I can continue to teach sinners your way. And sinners will be converted to you, God. That's what matters most to me. Take the kingship. Take my child, even if you must. But God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David saw a principle play out in Saul's life that he never wanted to experience himself. He came to see in Saul's life that sin will always take you farther than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you want to pay. Learn this lesson from Saul's life, because David did. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Me and you today. And then there's a third point of application. We've looked at the providence of God. We've looked at the price of disobedience. Lastly, I just want to consider very quickly the power of music. Research findings show that music has an incredible effect on people's lives. It supports our physical, mental, and emotional health. Research shows that music helps to regulate emotions, improve our mood, increase concentration, enhance productivity, and even help us to sleep better if it's utilized rightly. But there's a lot of musical choices we have in the world, isn't there? A lot of songs with certain lyrics that can be used for evil or for good. And I think it's important to heed what the Puritan commentator Matthew Henry said on this point. He said, It it is a pity that music which may be so serviceable to the good temper of the mind should ever be made an occasion of drawing the heart away from God in serious things. If this be to any the effect of it, it drives away the good spirit, not the evil spirit. What an important admonition that is for us today as we can pick 10,000 different songs on our iPhones, on Sirius XM, or whatever other listening media we use. Chuck Swindoll reminds us that long before there were any human voices on earth, There was music. Job tells us that the morning stars sang together. And either that was the stars like literally singing somehow as creation or more likely that Job was probably referring to the angels who surrounded God's throne singing praises to their creator. And we also know from Scripture that after this world as we know it is gone, There will continue to be songs of praise around God's throne forever. The book of Revelation indicates that as God's people praise Him throughout eternity, our best expression will be in song. Revelation 5.12 says, And they sang a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. What a day that's going to be. Can you imagine that worship service? But here's the logic of it all, the rationale. If music existed before we were even created, and singing praise to God is going to last long after this present world is past, shouldn't we be doing our best to sing to the Lord now? That's what Scripture tells us to do. Scripture says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Soft music for a hard heart. That's what David provided for Saul. And yet David's greater descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides us with something far greater. More than soft music for a hard heart, Jesus gives us a new heart. He takes out that hard heart and gives us a new heart so that we can experience His presence, His joy, His power, His peace in our lives. This new heart is a song-filled heart. And it's a soft heart that's pliable to the Holy Spirit. Jesus died and rose to free us from our sin and from the prison of despair. He is our good shepherd and we by faith and by grace are the sheep of His pasture. We listen to the music of His voice and together we rejoice in God. Let's pray. Father, Fill now with your spirit hearts that full surrender know that the streams of water from our inner man may flow. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. God, we thank you for this. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.